This week on Ultra 64, Christmas comes early because we're playing The World Is Not Enough. Welcome to Ultra 64. I instantly feel gross about that <laughs> opening joke. Uh, this is the comprehensive Nintendo also 64 also really doesn't make podcast. very much sense. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, you're playing off of it. We are the comprehensive Nintendo 64 podcast. Each and every week we are playing a different randomly selected game from the Nintendo 64 catalog. And we're pulling out our little stun watches and we're <laughs> desperately trying to not shoot the security guards. Oh my God, that security guard. <laughs> we're going to come back to that guy. We'll get to yeah. it. We'll get to it. My name is Steve Gunley. Hello, I'm double O agent Woody Siskowski. Uh, yes. We are, this is exciting because we're talking about the follow-up to the one of the biggest, if not the biggest games on the N64. Yeah. You know, but, for, In a lot of people's hearts, it is the biggest. For first in our hearts first in the auto shotgun yes. first in the rcp 90s <laughs> first this in is, slappers yeah this is the biggest ball of twine on the internet it's now. true I, I i do love it when a franchise has like a very nice acronym that like spells out an actual word yeah so this is 007 twine <laughs> gotta love it 007 retires and just decides <laughs> to take up knots it's the sack boy crossover we've always yeah. wanted but uh, we were too afraid to act on so it's been a little bit since we've talked about James Bond. Uh, been been a little over a year since we last talked about Goldeneye, mm. and uh, I remember that game was okay. I, I think it was fine. Yeah, yeah, we I liked mean, it. We gave it the thumbs up. It was no Bassmasters two thousand, but, but it, it was okay, yeah. you know. Uh, but either way, it was a it was a fun little game, um, and uh, we're following up with. I, I, I think the success of Goldeneye, and I don't think anyone was expecting that game to be as big of a success as it was. Right, that's like, true. A licensed game based on a movie that had been on video for two years now. <laughs> like, that's not that exciting, but uh, that was a major sleeper hit. It's the third best-selling game on the Nintendo 64, and it was a groundbreaking uh, first-person shooter on consoles. It, just, it was also, you know, for all of the awesome stuff that Goldeneye does, um, it's definitely a case of right place, right time. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it's for like sure. a lot of people had N64s. They were itching for something to play. They had they had twitchy trigger fingers. Yeah. And here comes something with a great four-player mode that sort of um, is a very different tone than your Mario 64s. <laughs> for sure, yeah. Something a little edgier, a little more grown-up without being so violent that the kids can't play it. Yeah, you know? exactly. It was a nice balance to strike. Uh, so obviously this game is based on a movie. It's based on a James Bond movie. And of course, as has become tradition when we play a game it's based sad, on a movie. Sad, annoying tradition. We Truly watch my the least movie. favorite part of this podcast. <laughs> Oh, you don't like watching Blues Brothers 2000 and, <laughs> and Star Wars? And the Phantom Menace? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this this at least splits the difference between those, at least, yeah. right? It was, I liked it a little more than Blues Brothers 2000, which is, but not a lot more. Not a lot more, which is like not really some, not really a position you want to be in. No. You, I feel like you want to be dramatically better than yeah. Blues Brothers 2000 or just go home. Yeah, this was... It, this scene, this movie did not have a fun zombie shakedown in the voodoo shack. The That's way true. Brothers That's 2000 true. We did. were missing that. We were missing that. So let's talk a little bit about this movie. We got together and watched this last night. The World Is Not Enough was directed by Michael Apted. It was released on November 19th, 1999, and it stars Pierce Brosnan, Sophie Marceau, Denise Richards, Robert Carlyle, Judy Dench, Robbie Coltrane, John Cleese, and Desmond Llewellyn. 
A couple of little facts and figures about this movie right off the bat. (laughs) This is the 19th Bond film in the franchise. It's Pierce Brosnan's third and second to last uh, appearance as James Bond. And very weirdly, um, there's no game on the N64 for the second Pierce Brosnan movie. They skipped it. Yeah, yeah. they skipped right over it. Because GoldenEye came out, or the game GoldenEye came out the year, like I think maybe three or four months before the movie Tomorrow Never Dies came out. So they did not have time to put another thing together. Uh, this movie's notable in a couple of, for a couple of reasons. Uh, firstly, this is the last on-screen appearance of Desmond Llewellyn as Q. Uh, he was a Welsh character actor who played the role for 17 Bond films, starting with From Russia with Love in 1963. Uh, Llewellyn had not announced plans to retire at this point, but... He, they were setting it up like they were grooming a replacement. I mean, there's a scene he, he in the movie 85. where he passes the torch over to John Cleese. Exactly. Like, the, this movie puts a convenient button on it, but no one was really intending for this to be his last role. They thought it, he might have one more in him. Uh, unfortunately, he did not die from old age. He died in a car accident, sadly, three weeks after this movie uh, premiered. He, and mis- so- he mistook his car keys for a uh, explosive pen. <laughs> oh, no. He tried to try to jam it in there. And then- now see, yeah, 007. Yeah. Those are those are my favorite scenes in all the Bond movies where oh, he's the introducing the introducing the gadgets. This movie has a fun one where he's it's a bagpipe slash flamethrower. <laughs> yeah. I, I was really sad though that didn't come up in the movie somehow. Yeah. Like there's not a scene later where he has to sneak in with a funeral procession <laughs> and he's like then he gets jumped and like shoots the flamethrower and everything. They used the puffy coat though. At yeah. least they got to yeah. use the puffy coat. Uh, so this is the first screenwriting outing for the team of Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, who have written every single Bond movie since then. They've kind wow. of got a lock on Bond movies uh, from It's from weird there that on. they decided, wow, you guys did such a good job on this one. Yeah. It's really crackling script. Well, they were the screenwriters of Plunkett and McLean. Obviously, they're going to be like the toast of Hollywood. <laughs> sure. A movie that I think opened at number nine and never got higher than that. Okay. Uh, actually, weirdly, again, a uh, Robert Carlyle vehicle, who <laughs> is the villain in this. But You're whatever. sharing a lot of names, and I think they're going over 19, my head and most people's heads. 1999 was the year we tried to make Robert Carlyle happen, and it didn't quite take. <laughs> okay. uh, so Peter Jackson was originally approached to direct this film, uh, and he was very receptive to the idea. He's a longtime Bond fan, but he was knee-deep in Lord of the Rings stuff at this time. Sure. He was shooting it. and uh, That turned out a little more successful. I feel like people have a more. slight more affinity for Lord of the Rings and for The World is Not Enough. A little bit. So they went with Michael Apted instead. So this is the director best known for the Up documentaries, yeah. uh, which is where every seven years he's checking in on this group of school children that he met in the 60s. Well, they, they, just they, released... they, don't, they don't get held back constantly. They're not they school don't. children still. Yeah. They didn't have to keep them in school for the rest of their life. 63 <laughs> Up just came out and yeah. it's about British men still in elementary school. Exactly. Why won't they let me out? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, they're really amazing documentaries if you haven't seen it. But the reason he got this part, kind of ironically, once we get into the movie itself, is because uh, Barbara Broccoli, who is one of the owners of the Bond franchise and one of the producers on this movie, f- wanted somebody who was particularly good at writing and directing women. Oh. So they saw his movies, The Coal Miner's Daughter and uh, Nell and a couple of other movies that he directed. He is good with directing women. Uh, I, uh, there's some notable reasons why you might they, they dispute also, that. In they this also movie. could not find a woman to be the director, which, <laughs> which might have been a place to look. Yeah, that yeah. might have been a good place to yeah. start. But no, that you know, whatever. 
Also, yeah, I want to see Lynn Ramsey's Bond movie. Right? That's, oh my God. Yeah. That's going to be the goriest movie ever. <laughs> uh, so the title of this movie comes from the family crest of Sir Thomas Bond, who is a real life land baron from the 1600s. And the series implies that he's a distant relative of the fictional James Bond. Uh, this movie recycles a lot of ideas that were originally cut from Goldeneye. So pretty much all of the scenes with Robbie Coltrane as Zukovsky in this were cut from Goldeneye. See, you, and just we watched this movie here. last night, and yeah. you just named a character, and you said, "quote all of the scenes." But He's I have no, yeah, but I have no idea what you're talking about. He's a big, like, boisterous Russian guy who drowns in caviar. Oh, oh, that yeah, guy. it was that guy. Yeah. The, okay. Well, that's why he shows up twice. But I guess my point is like. Things fade quick from memory. They this do. movie has a lot of characters, and it's not very clear why any of them fit in with each other. There's a lot going on. Uh, and one last thing about this is that this is the first Bond film to win a Razzie Award. It won it for Worst Supporting Actress for mm. Denise Richards. Yep. They would repeat this uh, with the next Bond movie, Die Another Day, which won Worst Actress for Halle Berry. The cool thing about that, though, is that Halle Berry became the first actress to actually show up to the ceremony and accept her award in person, gave a very funny speech. She came back for Catwoman, right? She came back for Catwoman. Wow, yeah, okay. yeah. Sandra Bullock did the same thing for All About Steve. She, uh, she Your won, favorite movie. She won, <laughs> she won Worst Actress for All About Steve, and then the next day she won Best Actress for The Blind Side. So she like wasn't hurting, but she showed up to the ceremony with a uh, little red wagon full of DVDs of All About Steve. And she just said, you know what? I think you guys maybe just haven't watched it. So I brought one for everybody. Nice. So it was a funny yeah, that's move. Fun. Is that going to be the name of your autobiography? I think that's going to be one of them. Yeah. Okay, All About yeah. Steve volume, volume one. one. The early years. Yeah. Uh, so the plot of this film, uh, quick synopsis of this. And which relates to the game because it's the exact same plot. That's true. They, they go to pains to make this like as accurate to the movie as possible. Which, which did like make like the GoldenEye game is definitely a fairly loose interpretation. Like yeah. it definitely follows the plot points, but yeah. here in the world is not enough. They're like there's voice acting and they're just reenacting scenes straight from the movie. Exactly. So as this film opens, Bond is retrieving stolen funds uh, on behalf of an oil billionaire named Robert King, who's a close personal friend of M's. Uh, the money, however, proves to be a trap. There's an explosion that kills uh, Robert King and destroys a large part of MI6. And so now uh, Bond is put on a protection detail to look after Electra King, who is Robert's daughter. She is an heiress who was once kidnapped uh, by a terrorist named Renard, who they think is behind this plot right now. The noteworthy thing about Renard is that he has a bullet in his brain that is slowly driving itself deeper and deeper into his brain and killing sensation in his medulla oblongata as it goes. So as they put it succinctly in the movie, uh, every day that bullet comes closer to killing him, but he's going to get stronger and stronger until the day he dies. So this was the most exciting aspect of the movie in terms of like an idea. Of yeah. Like, this is something weird and cool. It's kind of like the crank movies or something like that where right. someone's on this sort of bizarre timer but a movie really doesn't make good use of this. It's like, that's one of the weakest parts of this movie is that sort of main villain is super boring. Oh yeah, it's and incredibly the, boring. I, they need scenes of him like, ripping doors off the, with his bare hands or then like just punching dudes out in one hit or yeah. like getting smashed with pipes and just not noticing it at all. It, it's like the movie kept forgetting that he's supposed to be super powered yeah, and he like just needed to be like roid raged all the time or, or like, something or like they didn't tell Robert Carlyle because he's like He's reacting with pain every time he gets yeah. hit, but his the character's central gimmick is that he feels no pain. Yeah, he's got Homer Simpson syndrome. He does. He's got a crayon in his brain. Uh, so there's an attempt on Electra's life in a cool little sequence in a ski slope. Yep. 
uh, after there's, that. There's a couple, like, I mean, as is all Bond movies, there's, like, just, just a breakup of, like, cool set pieces and yeah. then a bunch of boring garbage. Sure. Um, but I would say the ratio here of, like, set pieces to boring garbage definitely leans more in terms of the boringness. Like, I like there's yeah. a fun boat chase at the beginning, another good ski chase. There's a very weird design of a helicopter that has a giant saw blade hanging down. That so was it just, like drives through and cuts up buildings and docks. It's a that's a fun idea. Yeah, and it's they get very some, silly. They get some good mileage out of it. But like, it's also one of those ideas like, can they just shoot them from the helicopter? Like, yeah, wouldn't exactly. that be easier you know you can for everybody? You blow up a building with a missile, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels like there's easier ways to go about this than just ship this all I the way I want to see, over. like, a weird steampunky medieval thing where that's the vehicle. Yeah. Where, it, where like, someone's pedaling it from above trying to, like, <laughs> cut up people below. Oh, I'll get you. I'm yeah. a mad inventor, and I've yeah. got flasks full of explosives. <laughs> tee-hee, tee-hee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I guess I want to see, like, a Wild Wild West, but as old knights. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> So uh, Bond, for some reason, I kind of lost the plot at this point, but he has to go to Kazakhstan to a Russian ICBM base. And this is where he meets Dr. Christmas Jones, who's a nuclear physicist. And she uh, kind of decides to help him for some reason. Yeah, well, because she thinks he's cute. Sure. Yeah. Um, the, the chemistry between them yeah, is it's not sizzling. Yeah, it, just, you know. it just bursts off the screen. Man, gu- guard your screens yeah. because they're going to light on fire. Uh, but yeah, so he teams up with Christmas Jones and they have to now stop Renard and discover who is the mastermind behind this whole evil plan. Do, do Should we just spoil a 20-year-old movie? I mean, I would say, yeah, if, if you are interested in this movie, you've probably already seen it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, the it turns out the power behind everything is Cassandra King because Renard kidnapped her. Uh, she's got a little bit of a Stockholm syndrome. Well, at least they're they're playing it like she has Stockholm yeah. syndrome. Maybe but then Renard it's revealed is just that, a very charming guy. But then it's kind of revealed that she's just been in charge of all mm, of it. Like since fair. the kidnapping, she's been kind of in charge of it. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of the general plot of that. Um, yeah, it's been a little bit since I've seen this one. I think I saw this when it was new, and then maybe once more. But it's been okay. quite a long time. Um, I will say it is the second best. Brosnan Bond. Which is very sad. Not saying much, it's, but the other two are really bad. Like, GoldenEye is an exceptional Bond movie. Like, it's top three Bond movie wow. for me. Uh, and World Is Not Enough is not... It's, yeah, a, it's we, a significant step We watched, we watched step GoldenEye down. maybe about a year ago. I remember barely any plot points from it. Um, but I That's do remember fair. it being a much more pleasant and breezy watch. About About three-fourths of this. I'm like, oh, this movie's still going on. You paused it at about two hours. And yeah. you're like, is this movie two and a half hours? Because it feels like we're there already. And that's it's, the thing. GoldenEye is two and a half hours. Yeah, like, but it felt And it doesn't fat. feel yeah. like it. No, but I this agree one with does. that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to do a compliment sandwich with this movie because I think, I think it does do some things that are really fun. Like they're playing with vehicles a lot in this. They they come up with some really, really wacky vehicles, which is fun. Like the opening chase scene has Bond in an experimental speedboat that he drives on land with a rocket propulsion. Uh, which is fun, and then we have the aforementioned and then helicopter she tries to blades. Escape in a hot air balloon. There's a hot air balloon. Air balloon. Uh, and then there's um, these the the ski chase. Like they're not just being chased by guys on skis; they're being chased by snowmobiles hanging from parachutes. Yeah. And like, there's one point where Bond thinks he's tricked a guy and launched him off a cliff because he's let his parachute and they go. Deploy another parachute and are flying around in these fans. Yeah, it's, and I was that's like, fun too. This is pretty clever. This is this is a fun. Like these look stupid at first, and then you're like, okay, I could see how these <laughs> could have utility in this one specific session. Yeah. 
I will also say, uh, I don't know, I don't know if you're on the same page on this one with me, but I really like Sophie Marceau's performance as Electric oh, the King. Femme fatale. Yeah, I yeah. think I thought she was compelling. No, like, she, yeah, and she matches the aesthetic of the movie in Bond. Yeah, like, yeah, definitely. And you like, buy her both as sort of as sort of the initial love interest, and then as the traitor at the end. You know, you in all likelihood you're going to see that plot twist coming from a mile away, but. It is. Well, they I feel sell like it the well. movie reveals it. Sort of a you. You sort of see it coming about two minutes before it's revealed, which I feel like is okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And I thought uh, Robbie Coltrane was fun as like the bumbling like Russian mobster guy. You know, sure. he, he he has some he has some moments, and uh, I, I like that they brought him back. But th- there's the 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 middle part of the compliment <laughs> oh, sandwich. Yeah. Uh, the baloney. This <laughs> the screenplay is rough. The yeah. screenplay is real rough. If it's not exposition, it's really bad puns, and this feels too much like a throwback to like seventies or eighties Bond movies for a movie that came out this late. Like, yeah, the series. This is the moment where like the series is starting to feel really, really stagnant. Yeah. And with Die Another Day, the next movie in the list, they're like, all right, we've got to reboot this thing completely. Sure. Start over, new Bond, new tone, new everything. We're, we're doing this again. Uh, because it is, it's starting to feel like a relic at this point. Yeah. Like all the casual misogyny and just <laughs> the bad puns. And, and uh, there, there's not, I don't know. I felt like in the scope of casual misogyny in Bond movies, this one's not as much as others. I mean, aside from just Denise Richards character. But, yeah. And that's, that's but the, again, like their chemistry is so underdeveloped, like their relationship at all. I, okay. Well, I, we need to devote some time to Denise Richards in this movie I'm, because I, I will devote time to Denise Richards whenever you want. My there friend. we go. Yes. There we go. For, look out for our spin off Wild Things podcast. Yeah, this is my dirty little secret is I think Denise Richards is pretty attractive. Shoot, yeah, no, like, hot take. Oh, no, my I know. oh my goodness. No, uh, look. Whether, the, whether she's dating a T Rex or um, <laughs> assisting James Bond deactivate bombs in a tube, she's got it going on. <laughs> I, I mean, I need to rewatch Tammy and the Two. There's an R-rated cut of Tammy and yeah, the Two X out extra now. Gory version. I want to watch that. Um, so here's the thing: I feel like we, as a society in general, owe a lot of apologies to attractive women in movies. I'm thinking specifically sure. of like Megan Fox, you know, who we've kind of been talking shit about for years, okay. and then we kind of in in later years you come to realize like okay she's actually kind of talented and savvy and like she you know Jennifer's body is a great movie that people did not appreciate when I mean, it came people, out I mean people people get typecast and then you have the choice of either leaning into the way that you've been typecast and having a successful career out of it or yeah. fighting back against that and you know sometimes getting ostracized from Hollywood and this is, I think this is a case of an actress trying to do the latter and then the screenwriter is forcing her to do the former because I think Denise Richards signed Denise Richards at this point. We know her from uh, Starship Troopers, from Wild Things. That sure. was kind of her big breakout. She's like the hottest woman in the world at this point, and uh, they, you know, it, it makes sense to get her into a Bond movie. Yeah. She looks the part. That's not a bad choice on its face. It's not a bad choice. And you can understand why she would want to take the role of a nuclear physicist because all of her roles to this point have been kind of ditzy bombshell roles. And you could see wanting to shake that. The problem is they wrote this nuclear physicist as a ditzy bombshell and they give her nothing to do. It's either fawn over James Bond or explain plot. (laughs) And I think I got got very – 
angry on her behalf sure. the moment where she took off her hazmat suit <laughs> to reveal a four-hour face of makeup, perfect hair, and short shorts with a crop top that leave very little to the imagination. Yeah. I'm just thinking, first of all, if you're putting on that much makeup and then getting in a hazmat suit in the desert, you're sweating that off, yeah. okay? That is for nobody. <laughs> you are just making a mess under there. That is for nobody but the male gaze. Yeah, I mean, her performance is not good by any means. But no, it's look. Just, she's stuck with a sort of character that makes no sense. It's like if you're going to cast her as like, this is the blonde eye candy of the movie. Put her in that role and just lean into it. Just lean into it. Yeah. I, she's not convincing as a nuclear physicist. No. I'm sorry. And I'm not, I don't want. You have lots of other talents, Denise Richards, but we're guessing that nuclear physics is not one of them. I'm going to guess that. Yeah. I'm going to. And it, it's mm. just, she doesn't sell it. Um, and there's no chemistry between her and Bond. No. There's actually not, it's not really clear there why she's even hanging out with him no, for most of it. There is much more chemistry between her, the Bond, and the other girl. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like that's actual chemistry there like, yeah and the, the way this movie ends like all bond movies he's sort of slipped out past mi6 sensors and like or mm. and is like oh he's having a sexual rendezvous with the girl but like that scene goes on for like three less than a minute yeah because it's just like their chemistry is so forced and awkward they're like okay we're not going to explore this is most of it's done with an infrared camera yeah <laughs> just, exactly. to, just to demonstrate oh look they're getting redder that's yeah. we need digital effects to illustrate their chemistry because it's not coming yeah. across and then of course the infamous final line of the movie which i alluded to in the beginning uh they are having sex and he says oh surprising i thought christmas only comes once a year yeah and then hard cut to black. Like I mean, they don't even give you time to like. It's better than on that. the ending of Kingsman. But oh, that's true. Yeah, that still pisses me off, and I hate that they doubled down on that in the sequel. <laughs> like, oh my god. Um, yeah. So that's. It is pretty disastrous to the movie in general when Christmas Jones shows up. I just. Uh, think, I, I mean. Yeah, it, I think that so much of this movie would be better if this was a ninety-minute movie. Very few Bond movies are ninety minutes. If any of them, I don't think right? any of them are. Yeah, yeah. but like. It, there's just like I said, there's a the plot in this movie is very unclear to me. Yeah. Um. And so any scene where they're explaining stuff is just totally falls to the wayside. And if yeah. it just cut from one of these sort of good set pieces to the other, I might have enjoyed it a lot more. But it it, it it seems like a movie that's relegated to be seen only when you're trying to watch through the Bond canon. Like, it's that and like. You know, but I will say... Or the Denise Richards canon. For for me, I think the worst movie in the entire Bond canon is Tomorrow Never Dies, which is the one that came between Goldeneye and this. Okay. And that's just because every Bond movie has something remarkable about it. It's either the best of something, the worst yeah. of something. I mean, what, one thing and, you can say about Denise Richards in this is she gives this movie an identity. Sure. Like, this is, movie is remembered as the Denise Richards one. And yeah. I think part of that is because she is very awkward in it but another part of it is it doesn't have that much else that you would remember it for and it's a it's a shame too because i feel like you remember that she's in this and you take away from sophie marceau who is doing yeah some pretty good work in that's, this movie. that's a good point uh which is kind of a bummer but you know tomorrow never dies i think is the only one that doesn't do anything remarkably like it doesn't mm -hmm. have any moment that you say oh that's the best or that's the worst you know everything else has something yeah I'll also say the uh, title theme song to this movie is awesome. I think this is a great Bond theme uh, okay. by Garbage. World is not enough. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the movie. All right, let's talk a little bit about the game. And so on my shelf, I have this listed. I have everything listed alphabetically. And this mm -hmm. is the very first one because this is stylized as 007 colon The World is Not Enough. Oh, okay. Which Whereas I find Goldeneye is not 007 Goldeneye? No, it's Goldeneye 007. Oh, yeah, So they sure. do that. That's annoying, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sticking to it. Uh, it's the first one on my catalog. 
This was released October 17th, 2000, so a full year after the movie came out. Okay. It was de- and like, what, two or three years after GoldenEye, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, this was developed by Eurocom and published by EA Games, and this was also released on PS1. Uh, this one barely squeaked into the Million Sellers Club. This is the 44th best-selling game on the system. Uh, there are 45 games that sold a million okay. on the N64. I mean, I'm gonna. This is a symptom of any game that comes out in 2000. Like, oh that's yeah. A, I, if this game had come out a year after Goldeneye, it would have been, you know, would probably have been much top bigger. 15 sellers on the system. Oh, probably, probably. Uh, this lands just above Namco Museum 64 and just under F Zero X. It sold just barely one million units. Uh, which is not bad, but again, GoldenEye sold $7 million and is right. the third best-selling game on the system. Uh, so a little bit about the development here. So after the runaway success of GoldenEye, James Bond was suddenly a hot video game property for, I think, the first time ever. Like, yeah. what did we have before? We had a ColecoVision game. Oh, man, that is that is weird to think of how barren sort yeah. of like, there's James Pond. There's James for, Pond. For Super Nintendo. There was a James Bond Jr. based on the animated series, like uh, on Genesis. But I don't know if there were many other like Bond. I think there were some like on the Amigo that only only got yeah, released. Yeah, why, in the why UK. would that be? I guess there was just no like. Even though the James Bond license probably wasn't super expensive, maybe no. it just was not worth the time. Like they didn't figure it was worth the effort when they could just create a general spy game. I want some modder out there to just reskin uh, the Sega Genesis game Flashback to be a Bond game. Oh yeah, perfect, right? Yeah, that would perfect work pretty well. Fit. Well, That'd except that you're like in some sort of bizarre sci-fi utopia. Well, yeah, they'd have to reskin <laughs> the whole game. Oh basically, sure, but, okay. You know, I thought you yeah. just meant reskin the main. Character. Oh no, not just that guy, but yeah, the whole game. Um, so yeah, Rare was offered the opportunity to develop a sequel for this based on the GoldenEye sequel, Tomorrow Never Dies, but the team was pretty burned out on Bond at this point. They wanted to move on to different projects. Most notably, they wanted to do their own spiritual successor, Perfect Dark, which is an upcoming episode for us. Which is a, which is an odd choice. Like, I feel like that would have, I mean, I guess it goes to show like the ambition that was going on at Rare at the time, because yeah. that's basically a slam dunk. Like, oh, you've yeah. sold so many copies with GoldenEye, there's a new movie coming out. And, like, people don't care about the movie that much. <laughs> it's just, like, they want to build on the game. And so it's, like, you already have these assets. You just clean these up. You put new levels. You got another million seller. Totally. But, yeah, but they, they weren't content with that. They want to do their own thing and yeah. kind of push it in different directions, which I respect. Um, so enter EA. Uh, the company was kind of at the beginning of their big buying streak. Like they spent Which most of their- continues to this day. They, yeah, they spent most, especially in the early 2000s, they were just kind of snatching up licenses and studios left and right. So they entered a deal with MGM to gain exclusive rights to all their video game adaptations. Uh, and that 007 is, of course, the shiniest jewel in that crown. But uh, the Fargo game is around the corner. Okay, like, there's got to be a Fargo yeah. game. Uh, and I think they actually did release a Great Escape. I was going to make a joke about the Great Escape. There but they is made a Great, great Escape, escape game. game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the company farmed out production to Eurocom, who at this time was in the process of developing an FPS engine f- that they wanted to use on the GameCube. Oh, okay. But when EA approached the company with this opportunity, they scaled back production and they found that their new platform worked really, really well on the N64. Yeah. So they're just like, all right, cool, we'll do this. Uh, the developers worked very closely with the filmmakers to create a very accurate adaptation, but there was one signature sequence that was scrapped. We talked about the speedboat chase in the beginning of the movie. The N64 just couldn't handle that, so they scrapped that. They replaced it with a section that takes place in the London Underground instead. Yeah, this game never... Um, I don't think you ever get out of first-person mode. Like no. It would be cool if there was some sort of car-driving mode or the boat scene, something like that. Even the skiing mode, you still is in the first person. Yeah, exactly. 
So the cast was also mostly replaced. Uh, everyone lent their likenesses, but nobody lent their voices the, the except bond, for... The Bond hmm. knockoff is very bad. Like, He's we only bad. saw him at the beginning. He doesn't even read as British. Not even which... really, no. No, which is the one thing you know yeah. about James Bond. Uh, John Cleese is the only one who did show up to reprise his role as R, Q's replacement. Uh, and a fun fact about that, Cleese played this role twice in movies mm -hmm. and six times in video games. Wow. So I think that's, I don't know, that's unique. I don't know. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, he lent his face to the series, but he didn't actually start voicing the character until Everything or Nothing on right. the Xbox several years later. Which is a game that I want to like a lot, but is has a lot of frustrating control things that and that's make it a lot less fun. Extremely fair. That's yeah. extremely fair. But it has some moments that I like a yeah. lot. Uh, so unlike most of the games we've talked about in this show, uh, production on this one actually went very smoothly to the point where Eurocom was able to bump up the release a month wow. because they were done with it uh, like a month early. Uh, so the PS1 version, it's worth noting, is a unique title. is developed by a completely different team. So the, the team that made that is the same one who made the Tomorrow Never Dies game, which is a third-person action game on the PS1 oh, okay. that never got poured over here. It's not good. <laughs> sure. um, but that team had a contract, and so they got to develop this for the PS1. They did make it a first-person shooter. However, they cut all the multiplayer. Uh, they cut three single-player levels entirely, and there's only two difficulty levels instead of three. Which is very odd. I mean, usually the general consensus is that stuff on the PlayStation is going to have more content. Yeah, but, but the, the general consensus is that, is that this N64 version is far and away the better yeah. way to go if you're going to play this game. And also, like, they would they need multiplayer for this game on the oh, N64. Oh, you absolutely You cannot release it. a follow-up to GoldenEye and not have multiplayer. No, that, that'd be ridiculous, no. Uh, there were also versions of this game in development for PC and PS2, but they were ultimately scrapped. And okay. uh, Bond from there kind of went more in the direction of uh, standalone original stories rather than something based on a oh, movie yeah. or a book. That's so true. like Agent Under Fire, Nightfall, uh, Night Everything Fire. or Nothing. Nightfire, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Blood Diamond something, right? Blood, uh, yeah, Blood, Star, Blood, Blood Diamond with no, that's Jaiman definitely Hansu not a thing. as James Bond. <laughs> Oh my God, Jaiman Ansu should play James Bond. Okay, that's never going to happen, but still, awesome choice. Uh, all right, so similar to GoldenEye, each level in this game has a series of missions that you need to complete in order to proceed. Yeah. And depending on the difficulty level you choose, you're going to have more or less missions to complete. I mean, this game, despite being made by a different company, is very clear, like, okay, we're just basing this on GoldenEye. Oh, like, yeah. Like, what worked in GoldenEye, we're just going to do it here. They kind of almost want to disguise the fact that it's by a different company. Except, well, except not even really, because the production values are significantly amped up in this game. Like, there's there's voice sure. acting, there's a lot more detailed but that's backgrounds. also a symptom of this game coming out three years later. Well, it's that, and it's also EA throwing money at it at the yeah. same time, you know? So they, it, they're basically taking the GoldenEye framework and just making everything prettier and, frankly, a little more confusing. Um, yeah. Because the, the implementation, implementation of gadgets isn't necessarily great. And, well, and really, like, they really want to follow the movie close in the sense that, like, your first level here, you're in a bank, and, like, you know, it's the start of GoldenEye, you're just on a dam, and they're like, okay, here you go, you're going to shoot dudes. Like, you got a gun, figure it out. Here, you start in a bank, and you have to walk and sort of talk to a lady who's like, okay, you're in the safety deposit box in the corner, you have to walk over there, talk to another guy who's like your stuff's in the privacy room yeah you open this there's a secure like an appointment card in there and you have to go back and show this guy that you have an appointment sure. it took us a long time to like 
figure out how you actually select this card. Um, I was I was having a when do we get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> yeah, kind of moment. Definitely like, starts a lot slower. This game, you know, they needed to do the the cheap tactic of showing you a moment from later in the game and then <laughs> flashing back to it or something. Or like do what Goldeneye did, which is like have a zoom in until you're behind Bond's head and then yeah. enter his skull from yeah, the back exactly. so that you know you are Bond. Uh, uh, but yeah, so you get through, you have to go talk to the banker, you have to go into the safety deposit box, you have to get your stuff, and then you need to try and escape the building after everything goes to hell. Um, so in the single player mode, there are 14 different missions. We made it through one and a half because we were encountering some issues. We, we, we The issue comes from one certain gentleman. Yes. Who we are going to name... Rodney. Rodney the Bullet Sponge. Yeah. He's a low-paid uh, security guard who works at MI6, <laughs> and he just loves to stand in doorways pointing a gun at you. So the second level of this game, MI6 is attacked, um, or you know, and you go down an elevator to activate lockdowns and turn on these sprinklers, and part of the deal with this game for both the first and second level is if you shoot a civilian, you fail. Yeah. Like, um, and which is very odd because you will see them, they get shot and like the level doesn't end. But somehow if James is the one who does it, it's just no proceeding. Which I don't have a problem with the logic, but it's also kind of like if you're playing Area 51 and one of those soldiers pops up and you accidentally shoot him and then it's game over. Yeah. Like that's kind of the thing. You get one chance if you screw up. That's a good way to put it. And so you go down an elevator, the elevator doors open and there is just a dude standing there facing you with his gun, he's not pointing at you or anything, but you just you just twitch and you just shoot him. And Steve shot him, mm-hmm. failed the mission. And then I'm like, I got this, Steve. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I proceeded to shoot him in the arm, did not kill him, <laughs> no. but then died by running into fire later. And then you're like, okay, don't worry, I got this this time. So we went down the elevator again. And before you leave the elevator, narrator voice. He did not have it. <laughs> yeah, before you leave the elevator, I say, Steve, don't shoot him. Elevator door opens, you shoot him. And then we're like, okay, let's play multiplayer. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just kind of a stupid restriction. I mean, I, I get the I get the logic here, but don't give me like a shooting gallery game and then just like put innocent civilians in the way that can end the mission. Yeah, that's really the, it's frustrating. It's the worst thing. And it's like those, uh, it's like Virtua Cop or Maximum Force when they're like, don't shoot civilians. And they would have the civilians like stand up. Like there'd be a bunch of people like hiding behind cover and the civilians would pop up and go, don't shoot. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Don't pop up in like, front ah, of me. Ah, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Think think before you jump behind a crate. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. but th- at mean, least in that, like in other games, this happens, but you have checkpoints. You know, you, yeah. you can... You can reload from like a few seconds or before. Or like it would like reduce your score or something. Sure. You get like a C grade instead of an A because you like killed some civilians. And it's just, and I think that's a symptom of this game in general is that was a component of GoldenEye was sometimes you had these weird sort of side missions that you had to do and sometimes they would get confusing. But here it's taken a little far. Yeah. Like, you the, again, like... The three I like the three different difficulties. That was something that worked in Gold Knight works here. Yeah. And so you were playing on normal difficulty, and one of them is like destroy video backup is your whole definition of what you're supposed to do. And it gives you no indication of where that is or how you're even supposed to do that. No, like no. Like you clue. go find a camera to shoot. Do you have to eject some kind of VCR tape? 
yeah, that, it's that, not, it's very not clear. You just have to kind of wander around until you find a VCR. I also learned the hard way, like if you just shoot a computer monitor, it'll explode and kill anybody near it. Which, so if there are civilians let's test nearby, that right now on your on your laptops. Okay, David. hang on. Uh, uh, I've got a shotgun in here yeah, somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Well, okay, we tested. We're on a new fancy computer, and I have to say, the explosion did not kill us. Yeah. It didn't even get close. I it was am, an expensive uh, opera. It was an expensive experiment, though. Hey, but these are these are the kind of extra steps that Ultra sixty four goes to <laughs> to bring you all f- all the facts. <laughs> um, that's that, that's how we're ending this podcast, right? We're gonna take your N sixty four and all the games, just and, shoot them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. just take them out back and shoot them in the back of the cartridge. That's how we ended the Infinite Jazz podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I literally did. I took a video of me throwing uh, a tennis ball at my book until it fell in the mud. So <laughs> okay. I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that's a big frustrating element of it. The other thing is just being like a general lack of direction of just like, you know what your objectives are, but you don't know how to achieve them. You also, you have a lot of gadgets at your disposal. So like you'll find a, you'll find a keypad. So it's like, okay, I'll use my keypad decryptor or there's a swipe card. I'll use my swipe card card decryptor, I guess. (laughs) Like you have, you have a tool. My for hair's every- getting long. I'll use my projectile <laughs> haircut machine. <laughs> I mean, you have all of these at your disposal, but it doesn't feel very it's like not satisfying to be like, yeah, hmm, there's a safe and I have safe cracker. How will I solve this puzzle? Hmm. It would be like in Maniac Mansion if you're like, yeah. what should I use on door? Ooh, should yeah, I, huh, should yeah. I use key? It's it's pretty simplistic and it doesn't really you're you're not seeing these gadgets in action or anything like that. It's just like select from a menu, press yeah. Z. Or the, and the control mechanism is a little weird. You have to like hold. I think to select, do a quick select of your gadgets. I think you hold B and press A, or hold yeah. A and press B, or you have to go to the press start. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It, it just slows the action down, and I feel like that's what this game sort of suffers the most from. Is like it's a it's probably a more ambitious game than Goldeneye. In in a, I mean, I don't it, know if it's more ambitious. I think it's more polished. Okay, but yeah, I think I think it's just kind of trying to do a better version of what but Goldeneye like, did. I just feel like Goldeneye succeeds in so we- so well because it's so intuitive of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It just throws you right into the action, and it's a couple levels until you sort of get to the trickier trickier solutions. And like here, like your first. The way the game starts is like trying to sort of figure out the adventure game elements of cycling through your inventory, and it just doesn't set it up for that much excitement. No, but then the second level in is very annoying of all these guys running around in your way and making it easy to shoot. Yeah, it's just like activate sprinklers, activate lockdown. Um, I will say presentation here is is good. It's very good. Um, there's it, lots of voice clips. There's lots of voice clips. There's loading, which is very weird. The first scene, you'll see James Bond. There's like a five-second clip of James Bond walking into a bank, and then you get another loading screen. Yeah. It goes loading, bank walk, loading. Yeah, it's, loading screens are always kind of uh, jarring to see on the N64. Yeah. Also, maybe I just missed it. Did you hear the Bond theme at any point? No. I feel like I, I didn't hear didn't. it at all. And that's another thing that is just, I mean, this is just an unfair comparison too, but like the GoldenEye soundtrack is just so, so good. Oh, it's so good. Um, And all those tunes just immediately go into your head. And like this, this game sounds very good as well. Like the bullet gunfire is very loud. There's sure. good music, Um, plays through all the multiplayer. Um, but they just don't quite, they're not as iconic as that that GoldenEye music. No, it's really not. Um, let's talk a little bit about the multiplayer Mm -hmm. because obviously this is where GoldenEye really shines. 
Uh, I mean, I wouldn't even go. I would say as good as the multiplayer is in Goldeneye, I think it is just as good of a single player. Experience. Oh, it's a great, it's a great single player experience. But I think if most people, if you're going back to Goldeneye now, it's because you want to play multiplayer. You want to do those friends. license to kill throwing knives. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that's kind of a big appeal of it, and it's only natural they would put a heavy emphasis on it in the follow up. Mm-hmm. I think this game builds on the framework uh, of what they had there. You get several modes: there's deathmatch, capture the flag, king of the hill, team deathmatch, last man standing, and uplink which is a weird new mode where you have to run around like touching satellites. Yeah, there's three satellites in the level, and it's a team mode, so you either turn them red if you're on red team or blue if you're on blue team, and you just get points for having them be your color. Yeah. But most of what this results in, we played it in two-player mode, is just us kind of running around in a circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the same ones over and over. We just run around seeing who could tag the the uplinks for longest. Yeah, it, it wasn't was very not fun. Much fun. Um, so you get 14 different levels to play on, and they're all pretty varied. I'll yep. give them that. They're pretty varied. Some of them are a little too dark to be of any use, yep. but there's a good variety Surprisingly, here. the level called Ring of Fire, very dark. It turns out, yeah, yeah, yeah not so much. Uh, and you get a, a, a smaller selection of characters than Goldeneye, although I imagine there are some that I can still unlock if I were to play through the single-player mode. And this character select has one of the weirdest restrictions that I've ever seen this in a game. so strange. So you naturally select the character M, because you're of like, course. yeah, I want to play as Judy Dench. Of and course. me naturally select the character of Christmas, because yeah, I want to play as Denise Richards. I want to make those two fight. Yeah, this is what we pay for. Sure. Um, and then we try to start the game, and they're like, good characters cannot fight good characters. What the fuck is that? What like the actual? Why would you do that? Like that's not a restriction in Goldeneye. Like Bond can absolutely shoot his, shoot M right in the face if he. Well, actually, M's not in that one. Or is she? I don't remember. But he can shoot his friends in the face if he wants to. There's really I, yeah, no, I don't think M is in that one. But I mean, I, we're no one's playing that game taking it super seriously. No, we're not it, looking at like, oh, this multiplayer game I'm playing right now is canon. James can't hurt that innocent civilian. No, and that's the whole. I mean, that's sort of the heart of like a movie video game is like I want to sort of manipulate these characters who I know and make them do stuff that they're not going to show and do in the movies. Sure, it's like it seems like an origin of like where they would have. Um, like the DC Marvel crossovers where like Batman would fight the Hulk. Right. And they're like, okay, they can't actually fight. They have to like team up like one third of the way through so we know that they're both on the same side. Yeah, they can, or Batman versus Superman. Someone just has to say the magic word Martha and then they're friends again. Yeah, it's like- You can have them fight for a while. It definitely felt like this was a note from the studio of like James Bond cannot- Yeah, I guess that's the recurring theme here and I don't know like why that didn't come up in Goldeneye. It definitely is like- James Bond cannot kill anyone who is not labeled as evil. I have a, I have a theory, and I think it's Columbine. I think because oh, this game out came out post Columbine, okay. I'm wondering if EA was just trying to skirt any possible controversy by like, okay, the only people you're killing are bad guys, unless yeah. you're a bad guy, and then you're only killing good. Like, there's a clear division between good and evil. Yeah. <laughs> when I I used to. Um, at the library, like kids would come in and I would um, sort of chaperone these Lego parties where um, we just lay a bunch of Legos out on the table. And this kid kept coming in and he's like, okay, these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. And I'm like, well, why do these guys have to be bad? Why can't why can't they all be good and work together? He's like, nope, they have to fight because these yeah. are the bad guys. And I kept trying to engage him in these philosophical discussions of why they had to be good and bad. That I can't was, understand why kids didn't gravitate to that. That kid that was awesome. Sense. Anyway, um, so, but I it just... It, and it feels like such a remedial read of that in this game. Like they literally just under the character, they're like good, evil. And then it gets even more extreme when you try to play a team mode. Okay, <laughs> this is ridiculous as well. All right, so this is the first uh, Bond game to introduce bots. You know, so we yeah, didn't which have is any- great. 
Great, great idea. It's always fun because you don't always have four people yeah. around and you want to play these modes. I, I get that. So the first time we booted up uh, a game of deathmatch with bots, we were demolished in seconds. Yeah, it was crazy. <clears throat> like, there's no way to control the difficulty level on these bots. And so they just smashed us to pieces. We would be shooting them seemingly like 10 times and they would just shoot us twice. It, yeah, it's very, very uneven AI. Yeah, the and the weapons are very uneven as yeah. well. Like, it feels like you're getting the shot. starting like, pistol does, like, nothing. And then a it shotgun. might as well be a starter's pistol. <laughs> yeah, for and all the, the good the it does. The shotgun kills in about two shots. And it, this game generally, like, compared to Goldeneye, you just die way, way faster. Oh, yeah, which yeah. Which is, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about because, like, that was a way I liked to play Goldeneye and License to Kill. Mm -hmm. But it feels like you really had to work for those shots um, to actually land them. Yeah. And, I don't know. Everything just felt a lot more impactful in Goldeneye, I guess I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. The guns have a little more kick. They're a little more zoomed in. And in here, they feel they feel very small. Well, the guns are generally more interesting in Goldeneye. Like, yeah. here, you get kind of everything you'd expect. And the only little novelties I found were, like, the crossbow. And the cool thing about all these weapons is that there is an alternate fire mode. You press yeah. and hold A and press the trigger button to switch to a different fire mode which is pretty intuitive and it's fun. You know, it goes between like a silenced pistol or, a, or unsilenced or a burst fire or non-burst fire. But another like random weird thing is you have to, if you're playing a team mode, if you're the evil, the evil team, you have to be red. Yeah. If you're the blue team, you have to be good. It's like in Star Wars, they like decided that red was the evil color of lightsaber. Right. Like, what if I just like, it doesn't mean I'm aligned with the Sith. I just like red. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's the problem with that? Yeah, so having those bots in there immediately, it wasn't very fun. Sure. And then we switched to just... It got uh, better in team deathmatch when one of them was on our team. Yeah, it was better. My my bot, it was very uneven again, because your bot got five kills, mm -hmm. and my bot got 12, and then we won. So I'm like, oh, Ridiculous. My, my bot's doing work. Yeah, yeah, I didn't really understand how that was working. But then when we took the bots out of deathmatch, it felt way too slow and boring. Yeah. So, like, I think the only real way to play this successfully is with four human players. Sure. Um, yeah, just the levels just feel small. Like, the speed, this game is very fluid, like, in both the single player and multiplayer, which is great. Um, but it just feels like things are sort of going a little too fast. And yeah. And you don't quite have a time to line up what's going on. I will say, I think what is lost in this multiplayer is a sense of wackiness. Yeah. And that is really something that you get in GoldenEye. And I mean, a lot of that just comes from nostalgia. Like, you know, a lot of the charm of GoldenEye comes from nostalgia. I do think it's a great game, but like... But this at the same time, does, like, I don't know, a GoldenEye, it was made by a team of like, what, 11 people or something like that. Yeah. It's like small and scrappy. And yeah. they, they came up with some weird workarounds just because nobody told them that they couldn't do this in a video game. Like, they were figuring it out as they go and they were naturally gravitating towards what felt the most fun to that's play. That's true. Yeah, there's no, there's no throwing knives or slappers only mode in this no. game. No. And this one, I feel like they're gravitating more towards, all right, all right, What? how can we be as high-tech and stick to the license as closely yeah, as possible? that's fair. And so we're losing some of the, the inherent fun. Yeah. Um, and what else did we play? We played Capture the Flag a little bit, uh, which was... Oh, we played King of the Hill. King with, of the Hill, With yeah, uh, rocket launchers, which was a very irritating way to play because you would stand in the hill and just get blown the shit out yeah. of you. Yeah, and like the rocket launchers are very slow to reload. Yeah. It just kind of takes forever. So, you know, the, the multiplayer didn't really blow me away. Uh, sure. we, like, it's not terrible. Um, no. But I mean, it's, you compare, comparatively, like, the two experiences just, it's so weird that you can see 
these same elements like transposed across two different games from two different companies yeah. and like ostensibly this is a better version of GoldenEye, a mm -hmm. quote unquote better version sure. because there's more money thrown at it. it there's plays more, a lot. It plays smoother. It plays smoother. There's not some weird janky edges. The graphics are so, so much better, but there's just a disconnect. Like the, it, it doesn't feel like anybody making this was having fun and GoldenEye yeah, feels that, like it was a, a labor of it. love. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else to say about this game? I think we kind of, all right. Well, yeah, no, yeah. I guess not. We can go into rankings here. Uh, yeah, because I'm very curious. I actually genuinely don't know where you're going to land on this. And uh, I, every time we get surprised by this, we wind up just in the exact yeah. same place. Well, this, but... one, this one might be different. I'll go ahead and go first. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was surprised by this game. I like this game. I think that it is... I mean, you never hear about anyone talk about this game. No. And I think that the reason is is because GoldenEye is sort of such just a institution on the Nintendo 64 and like the fact that there was another Bond game it's just like yeah whatever and like I imagine some people played this game basically got stuck in the bank level and this is just not as good I'm going to ignore it compared yeah. to GoldenEye and it just kind of by 2000 the ship had kind of sailed on yeah. that um, but I do think that it is a good polished game like the shooting mechanics are fun um, it really sort of Aside from the very frustrating thing of not being able to kill civilians, I hope that that's something that goes away in later levels. Yeah, I um, hope so. I, I like the multiple difficulties, and I think that it does a good job following the movie very closely. Um, I'm putting it at number 45 on my list, okay, which is right ahead of Mischief Makers, um, a game that I have played more of and has been kind of frustrating. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that this game... If you really, really like Goldeneye and really like that sort of aesthetic on the N64, this is one that you should check out um, because it's sort of more of that. Yeah. Even if it doesn't have the same level of personality. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I'm I'm coming in a little harder on this okay. one than you, I think. Uh, I am putting this at number 97, okay. which is going to go right good, below... Good difference there. Yeah, right below Iggy's Wrecking Balls. I think Iggy's I would rather Wrecking play... Balls. Reckon, excuse me, Iggy's yeah. Wrecking Balls. Uh, you know, it's like I said, I was, you were, you were asking me while we were playing. It's like, is this like, this is better than gold. like, what's, what's not as okay, good as gold. Just to be like, clear, I was that. playing devil's advocate. I was uh, not sure. actually no, yeah. thinking this was better than gold. No, I, and I yeah. understand that completely, yeah. but I was having a really hard time articulating like why this doesn't feel as fun as golden. I, even though all the same core elements are there, but I think I've kind of settled on it. It's just. It's it's just a slicker corporate product, and it just doesn't feel as it's an fun. EA game, if you will. Yeah, it's an EA <laughs> game. If, yeah, that's their exactly. that's their tagline: EA games, slicker corporate products. Exactly, <laughs> we're slicking them up for you. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, and it just didn't come together for me. I think there's too many kind of odd design quirks that make it more difficult to play. And I think the the appeal of GoldenEye is that it was fast, it was inclusive, yeah. it was intuitive, and this one just adds too many wrinkles to the formula. Sure. So to probably paraphrase an old official PlayStation magazine review or something, <laughs> the world is not enough. It's just not enough. Okay. It's just not enough for me. You know, uh, I'm the cleverest man in 1999. <laughs> you need a time machine. <laughs> That's what you're going to do with your time machine is go back and do your review closer. I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Uh, we have one letter this week, uh, and I left a typo in because I think it's funny. Okay. Hey there, Steve, Woody, and Guerst. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. We brought our Pat Guerst with us Patrick today. Guerst, Patrick Guerst. Beloved character actor. <laughs> uh, it seems like this era of gaming is full of games that were designed for the N64 and PlayStation, but then had either ports or adaptations show up on the Game Boy Advance. Yep. 
Obviously, the games were almost never the same, but I was wondering if you had any particular favorite D-makes on Nintendo's handhelds. I loved Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 on the GBA, possibly even more than the console version, and I think it holds up today. I also have fond memories of Grunty's Revenge, the Banjo and Kazooie uh, GBA game, but I think that one probably doesn't hold up at all. <laughs> Thanks, your friend in pod, Troidal Power. Whoa, Troidal Power. Troidal Power. Oh, that's not he's, his real name, is it? I don't think it's oh, his real okay. name. He's been a, uh, a longtime supporter of this show, so shout out to Troy. I for- totally forgot about the Game Boy Advance ports of Tony Hawk. I played, I, same deal, I played Those Tony Hawk 2 so much on the Game Boy Advance. They, Pro- they play kind of like a functional version of 720, if you ever played that yeah. in the arcade game game. Yeah, I hate that stupid game. It's a terrible game, but the Tony Hawk handheld versions. Uh, this this letter comes in at a convenient time because next week our uh, Patreon episode, we're following up on an episode we did previously where we are playing Game Boy Color demakes of Nintendo 64 games. Right. We did four before. We did another four coming up this week. Um, See what we think of NFL Blitz 2001 on the we've Game got, Boy we've, Color. We've got some opinions. We've got some opinions on that. So that's an appropriate time. But are there any others that you can think of off the top well, of the your to- head? I mean, the Tony Hawk one is, is great. That's like, a really that good selection. That was definitely a good poll. Like, and that really fits the definition. Like, I think that Grunty's Revenge isn't it's sort of its own thing. You yeah. Know what I mean, like it has a different title. I imagine it has different worlds mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, whereas it's clear, like with Tony Hawk, that's what we tried to stick with is like, is this really just a different ver? Is this a different game in the series or is it the actual game trying to be ported to right. uh, something less powerful? And I think that Tony Hawk is a great example of that. And yeah, those, those games are amazing in what they are able to do. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to skirt the question a little bit and cheat because uh, well, we're going to be discussing some of it on that uh, Patreon episode, patreon.com slash ultra64pod. Uh, but I, I recently picked up a couple of original Game Boy games that are sort of D-makes of NES games that I feel Equal like... makes, side makes. Side makes, yeah, yeah parallel makes uh, of, of, of popular NES games that I feel like hold up and have their own charm. So firstly, there was Battletoads. Uh, uh, what's the, what's it's the, Battletoads and Ragnarok's it, Battletoads World. Battletoads and Ragnarok's World, thank you. And that is basically just a Game Boy port of the original Battletoads, yeah. which you don't think would uh, perform as well on the handheld as it does on the NES, but it does. It looks yeah, it's great. Fun. It's a lot of fun. And then the other one was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Fall of the Foot Clan, which kind of takes that side-scrolling beat-em-up action. This time it feels a little more like Ninja Gaiden rather than like a straight-up uh, beat them up, yeah. but it's still a lot of fun and it's, it's got a, some very charming design to it and, uh, has a lot of personality on its own. So uh, a couple that come to mind here just, um, is answer the question. I think we didn't discuss them on our Patreon episodes cause we discussed them more in the, um, episodes themselves, but like, uh, the Mario golf and Mario tennis are both very fleshed out games. That's also yeah. the game Pokemon puzzle challenge. Oh, I love um, Pokemon it, puzzle it challenge very good as well. Yeah, I mean, God, if you want to have Pokemon Puzzle League on the go, Which like you do, that's you do. You want that? I feel like you need to have that game on at, hand at, at any times, times yes. you know, because you never know when you might need to de-stress a little you bit need to attack some Tetris. Absolutely, uh, you need thank- to pan- panel some day ponds. Exactly, you got to panel it would be them. day pond some panels. Exactly, either way, either way, some ponds, some panels, something's got to get dayed. Something, something's got to give. Something's starring give. Albert Brooks. <laughs> Uh, I don't think he's in that movie. I don't think he is but, either, but I'm drawing a blank on who is. Jack Nicholson? You're right. Okay, I get it confused with It's Complicated, which is the other Nancy Myers movie. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm a Nancy Myers head, clearly. Uh, gotta love them kitchens. 
Thank you so much, Troy, for writing in. Uh, anybody, if you'd like to write into the show, it's ultra64podcast at gmail.com. We love getting letters. It's just like it brightens our whole week, it I does. think, getting letters from you guys. Yeah, and so. tell us more if there's any other random uh, Game Boy ports of yeah. uh, N64 games that you think are neat. We've been, uh, yeah, we've we've been kind of uh, dragged into the Game Boy mire lately. Uh, yeah. we, were, we were accused of not liking Game Boy games <laughs> And then we played much. four games that only solidified that opinion. It did. But you know what? I'm, I'm dedicated now to be on the lookout for some sleeper hit Game Boy games okay. that I kind of uh, have slept on. So, because I feel like I've got my two or three go tos. And yeah. yeah. So, thank you everybody once again for tuning in. We're Ultra 64 Podcasts on all the different social media platforms. Next week, we are going back to the wide world of sports. Everyone's favorite. My, certainly my favorite. Yes. It has been a little bit. Uh, this time, we are revisiting. Soccer. We are oh, playing nice. the FIFA games, FIFA 98, 99, and 64, because they went backwards in time, <laughs> apparently. And we already kind of covered a FIFA game once by mistake, but don't worry, that's not going to happen again. These are all certified FIFA games. Yeah. Uh, Sepp Blatter would be proud. I am excited to jump in these because I feel like this is one of the biggest video game franchises of all time, and I haven't touched it once. Like, I have no affiliation <laughs> with it once, like, at all. Sure. Uh, but this is kind of a worldwide sensation, and I'm excited to dig into it and see if they're any good. Ultra 64 goes global. Goal. Goal. All right, everybody. Uh, well, we will return next time on FIFA 98, 99, 64. Ba-da-ba. Oh, wait. The world is love.